Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We'll read verses 4 through 7 together. If you're just joining us on the internet, we welcome you to the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship here in upstate New York in the beautiful Finger Lakes region. Uh, it's, uh, it's a heat wave out here for us today considering it's January 1st. Uh, usually we're, we're at least half a foot deep in snow and sometimes even more than that. And we have uh, 40 degree temperatures today and green grass showing. So <clears throat> our reading this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, and we will be looking at the Feast of the Circumcision today with Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. It's all about prophecy and promises, uh, which is just exciting. In Galatians 4, please read with me verses 4 through 7. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the, the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that all things, old things are passed away. All things are become new. And it's a, it's a remarkable prophecy. It's a remarkable teaching to think that God gives us a second chance through a born-again experience. As we begin to look at the Feast of the Circumcision, it's worthy to note all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ. They point to God's Anointed One. They point to His Messiah. They point to His Redeemer consistently. And every book in the Old Testament points in that direction, leading us to a better understanding of God's will. But then as he's making the prophecies, he goes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son. Oh, but my wife is barren. I said, you're going to have a son. And he had a son. He had Isaac. And Rebecca, Isaac's wife, she was barren. And God had promised Abraham that his children, his descendants, would be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. 
If you're not living in a smog, encrusted environment, you can look up in the sky and you can just be in wonder about the number of stars up there. Or you can go to the seashore and you can look at the sands along the beach and wonder, how can that be? How can there be so many? And so God was faithful to continue the bloodline of Abraham through Isaac. And we have then Jacob and his brother Esau. Jacob is interesting because his name means dirty, dirty, sneaky thief. He's a heel catcher. God uses all kinds of individuals to bring about his perfect will. He starts to use all of these individuals to fulfill his prophecy. And the pro prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, he's going to use you and I to help further that along. So we can't think that we're not important. We may be unimportant to the world, but we are important to our Father in heaven, to his Son, Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit. In the midst of all of the prophecies that are fulfilled already and the ones that are, are yet to be fulfilled, and there's just an awful lot that have been fulfilled already. The fact that Israel is back in its land, that's fulfilled prophecy. It was declared in Jeremiah that they would be back in their homeland and they would never leave again regardless of what is said by the Palestinians or Hamas or Hezbollah. They will never leave again. I shouldn't say that. They will depart from this earth and they'll find their way to heaven, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because the Lord is going to bring this earth to an end and is going to provide a new earth and a new heaven according to the book of Revelation. Also, according to the book of Revelation, we can understand that there is a third temple yet to be built on the Temple Mount. It seems impossible with it being under the control of Muslims. But God's Word is never wrong. <laughs> Not ever. And that's one of the reasons that we believe in God's and Jesus Christ so much is because his, his faithfulness is proven throughout the generations through His Word and through His kept promises and fulfilled prophecies. God uses ordinary people that are just doing their thing, just living as righteously as they possibly can. doesn't mean perfectly. It's just as righteous as they can. And we're going to be reading about a couple of individuals here this morning who have been righteous, fair. They have lived holy lives. And the first is a man named Simeon. And this is eight days after the birth of Christ when 
it was time according to the Old Testament that eight days after the birth of a male child he was to be presented in the temple and he was to be circumcised according to the law. It was a law that, it was, that provided for eight days. It was a law that provided for the circumcision of every male child. And so we look at this and we say, okay, Lord, the Lord is making rules and He's making these laws for a reason. And we refer to them as the Levitical laws because it was the little Levitical priesthood that wrote of them. And it was the priesthood under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that made them come into being. And so in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Even before conception, God had a name picked out for this child. Even before conception, He knew what your name was going to be. He knows our name. He knows our names. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. He knows the good, the bad. And He knows the things that need forgiveness. And He is more than willing to forgive. Now being named Jesus, this name here in our, in our Bibles in the English language, it is the Greek word. It's a Greek name. It's the translation from Yehoshua in Hebrew. And that is literally the same as Emmanuel, God with us. So the angel is right on track. He knows what this child means to mankind. He knows what this child means to the Lord. The Lord God Himself. He knows that Jehovah has had this planned for the whole time. This is more prophecy fulfilled. He used an angel to come into Mary's life and Joseph's life. Probably that same angel that came into Zechariah's and Elizabeth's life. And they named that child John, John the Baptist. So we begin to see all of these prophecies come under a microscope and God uses individuals to bring them to pass. He uses ordinary people like you and me. He used ordinary people to be the prophets who would give the prophecies. He uses people that believe in Him to bring about His perfect will. And then we come to verse 22, which is interesting. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We have an understanding from the Gospels that when the Magi came, 
they were living in the house, in a house, possibly up to two years after his birth, which is why Herod ordered the murder of every male child that was two years or younger. But what we sometimes fail to realize as Christians is that Mary and Joseph, Zacharias and Elizabeth, these are the parents of these two prominent individuals, John and Jesus, in the Scriptures that God is using to bring to pass, as it is this day, many people saved alive. You may recall even in, in the book of Genesis that Jacob's second youngest son, Joseph, was sold into slavery eventually, lived in Egypt, and when a, when a famine came to the land, it was his oversight that provided for the food to be saved from seven years before the famine so that the Egyptians could be fed and that Jacob and all his sons and all his children could come and be fed. It's at the very end of the book of Genesis. And Joseph said to his brothers, who were sorely afraid of him and his power and authority there, he said, don't worry about it. God did this to save much people alive. Joseph, living in Egypt, never lost his faith in Jehovah God. And it was through prophecies, it was through dreams, it was through all kinds of different things that crops were saved for seven years and then distributed during the famine. God did that through the wisdom of one of his believers. While his brothers feared him, he said, this was God's plan. This was God's plan. And their brother, their little brother Joseph, was not to be feared because he was a man of faith. And he was also second in command of the kingdom under Pharaoh. God did that. <laughs> God did that. It's an amazing, amazing story. The story of Joseph is in, is in Genesis from chapter 37 through the end of the book, chapter 50. It's a delightful story of hardship, lessons to be learned, sorrow, disappointment. It sounds like our everyday lives. But in the end, there is glory and there is salvation and there is the reunion of the family that God chose to bring about the 12 tribes of Israel. So the days of her purification were fulfilled according to the law of Moses. This is the Mosaic law. You'll find it in Leviticus 12, 2 and 3. They were accomplished and they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now it's interesting, the days of her purification. For 
for a woman who brought forth a male child, her days of purification were a total of 40 in number. If she brought forth a female child, the number of days for her purification were twice that, 80 days. <laughs> sort of a punishment for bringing a, a female into the world. I don't know how to explain it, but we do know that the Levitical law was inspired. We do know that God chooses whom He will bless and those that He will bless less. And I do believe that the Levitical priesthood was very much aware that sin came through Eve and she duped Adam. So if that's the reasoning, that's the reasoning. If it's not, the Lord will, the Lord will reveal it to us when we get to heaven. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male child, in verse 23, that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Every male child was dedicated to the Lord. But in particular, the firstborn of every family, the firstborn male of every family was dedicated, dedicated to the Lord for the Lord's specific use. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The, the law from Exodus, uh, Exodus 13 tells us that a lamb is to be sacrificed. But if the, if the couple is too poor to afford their own lamb, maybe they're city dwellers. Maybe they're not shepherds. Maybe they live in poverty. And what we know of Nazareth, where Jesus was conceived, and Joseph and Mary both came from before they went to Bethlehem, it was a, a low-income, blue-collar town. And even the Jews didn't respect anyone coming from Nazareth. It was even one of Jesus' apostles that says, is there any good thing that ever came out of Nazareth? It was not. It was not a holy town. But there were holy people that lived there. We can look at our own towns and cities and we can say, this isn't all that holy but there are holy people that live here. And those are the ones that God uses to transform a generation or transform the world. So Mary and Joseph apparently were still impoverished. While they're being used by the Lord, while they're doing things for His glory, while they're living their lives that are holy and separated unto God because of the promise of an angel, 
they still are not blessed with wealth. They're everyday people, like the people around them. And so they offered. They offered a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It's rather incredible that that's what the sacrifice for them was. Doing the Lord's will doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy. Doing the Lord's will doesn't mean you're going to have everything at your fingertips. doesn't mean you're going to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. It means that you're His. Nothing more and nothing less. We are His and He is our God. We are His children. In verse 25, we come to the first character that we want to focus on. In the midst of bringing the salvation of the world into the world, God makes promises to a few people. And this is one of them. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. What does that mean? It means he's a Spirit-filled Jew. He is a man that is holy and understands that the Spirit of God rests in his heart and guides his daily life. And it was revealed to this man. It was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And Christ is the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Redeemer. Until he had seen the Lord's salvation come into the world. Now it's interesting Simeon, it says here, was just and devout. He was dedicated to the Lord and he was just. He was righteous. And that word righteous in the Hebrew is, is tzidkenu. T-S-I-D. And we find it used in Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, chapter 23, verse 6. Nope, chapter 2. Jeremiah declares the name of the Lord, Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. See, we have no righteousness other than our, our relationship with God. And if this man is a Spirit-filled Jew, then he is certainly worthy of that title, righteous and holy and devout. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit. His alarm clock didn't go off. He was awakened by the Holy Spirit that morning. 
And the Holy Spirit told him, today's the day. (laughs) Get up and get ready. Go to the temple. Prompting. Can you imagine what that was like for Simeon? A Spirit-filled, believing Jew, filled with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly the Holy Spirit is there leading him, prompting him. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't the angel Gabriel that came to him and said, oh, you need to go now. You need to go to the temple. It's time. Service is going to start. We don't even know what day of the week it was, whether there was going to be a regular service or not. What we do know is that the Spirit led him to the temple on this day. He came by the Spirit of the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now lettest thou thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He understood completely that the word that was given to him was that he was going to see the Savior. It probably took his breath away that he could hold him. God is fulfilling his promises to Simeon just like He's fulfilling His prophecies along the way. Mine eyes have seen Thy salvation. Recognition immediately. He probably hadn't even introduced Himself to Mary and Joseph and suddenly He found Himself holding the Savior in His arms. Recognition. That's the Spirit. Understanding in us the things that are being performed through us and in us and for us. For our faith. For our testimony. To be able to share and tell other people. Mine eyes have seen Thy salvation which Thou hast prepared before the face of all people. You may remember that John 3.16 reminds us that salvation is for whosoever prepared before the face of all people. That's whosoever. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. These are the words of Simeon under the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus didn't just come for the Israelites, just for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles as well. A light to lighten the Gentiles. The Gentiles were non-Jews. They were lumped together with pagans, idolaters, tribes, people. When you think of Native American Indians, you can think of the witch doctor or the medicine man 
When you think of tribes around the world, you can think of shaman. But this is the living Christ laying in Simeon's arms. This is not, this is not paganism. This is holiness. This is devotedness to God. Living for Him. A light to lighten the Gentiles who lived in a dark world. The glory of Thy people Israel. And Joseph, his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. This man Simeon, they probably... Well, they've probably seen him around. He's been around for a while. And now filled with the Spirit, he's making declarations about her child. He's holding her child and making these declarations while holding him. He was not only full of the Spirit, he was full of love for this child. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. But we have to understand that this was also an affirming testimony of the witness that the angel Gabriel had spoken to Mary at her annunciation. God doesn't let his prophecies go unfulfilled without letting people know that they are about to be fulfilled. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. There's going to be a fall and a rising again in Israel of faith, of holiness, of a people that are set apart for God's use. And eventually, He is set for a sign which shall be spoken against because the people would hate Him when He began to teach in a way that actually made the Torah full of grace and forgiveness towards the people. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. The thoughts of wickedness the thoughts of controlling other people, the thoughts of maintaining power. See, there's nothing new under the sun. Our former president still continues to try to maintain some control. And the man that he lost to is, his whole party is fighting tooth and nail to maintain control if they would just subject themselves and kneel at the feet of Jesus, there might be peace. There might be peace. So that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed, 
the corruption of men's hearts is universal. It's only by believing and putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that our end destination is altered and changed. When you're in a funeral procession on the way to the cemetery, your GPS is going to say you have reached your final destination. Unless you're a Christian, unless you're a believer, there's more to life for us after the grave, after death. There's a whole eternity of joy awaiting us. But a belief in Jesus Christ changes that message. In verse 36, we're introduced to a second person. There was one Anna, a prophetess. Here's another spirit-filled Jew, a prophetess. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years. So she's 84 years old. And it says here, she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Here's the prayer warrior of the church. Dedicated, holy, devout. Sidkenu, filled with righteousness because of Christ and because of God. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Now, she had probably known Simeon quite well. There are a couple of the the gray hairs in the temple. There are a couple of the the older members of the congregation. And they've seen each other for years in the temple. And they've probably talked. We don't know that. It's conjecture on my part. But when all the Jews would come three times a year to the temple, year after year after year, I can picture these two as the welcoming party. The host and hostess. The intermediaries between them and between the people and the priests. These were the ones that were dedicated, dedicating their life to a life at the temple. Serving God in so many ways. And she coming in in that instant gave thanks likewise. I wonder if Simeon told her of the promise that he had received. Coming in in that instant, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem.
She spoke of him to everyone that came in. Everyone. To all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She probably was giving testimony to this coming Messiah, this coming Redeemer, saying, oh, maybe today's the day. I remember a, from a previous church, an elderly woman that every, every Sunday when she came in, is today the day? Is He coming today? She's gone home to the Lord and has, has received her glory, her crown, and lives now in the presence of Christ. But Anna spoke of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Looking for that blessed hope. Looking for that anchor for their souls. Looking for the one who would come and has been prophesied since the book of Genesis. These two individuals just impress me so much when I think about what their lives must have been like. Simple, holy, dedicated to the Lord, dedicated to Jehovah. Always with a hope and always with a word of promise to those that were coming in after a long journey or even after a short journey, just having to go through the souks to get the souks of, of Jerusalem to get to the temple, the back streets, through the markets. These are a couple of witnesses. Anna and Simeon. We'll meet them someday. That's exciting. To me, anyways. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. It's kind of anticlimactic here for the rest of the chapter, these last couple of verses. Because we're about to enter into the silent years from when he was an infant until he was 12 years old. But they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is this little Christ child that Luke speaks of. Growing up in a family of observant Jews, he was going to change the world eventually with the teachings of Christianity, which is really just a refined, a refined version of Judaism. Instead of control, of the priesthood that promotes the control of the Lord Jesus Christ over our lives. It controls and gives us forgiveness 
and shows us mercy. Forgiving, forgiving us of the things that we have done and blessing us with the things that we don't deserve. That's mercy and grace. But He grew and waxed strong in the Spirit. I wonder what that was like for Joseph trying to teach his son carpentry. The molding, the shaping of pieces of wood. I wonder if Jesus ever said, uh, Joseph, Father, what do you think about doing it this way? <laughs> Jesus always knows a better way for us. So as we, as we, uh, as we share communion this morning, we're going to take a minute to just have a word with the Lord individually. If you have something to confess, if you've got a question on your mind, if you want to thank Him for something specific, thank Him for what He did during the holidays for you, if there's anything you want to share with Him, then this is a great time to do it. And I'll ask that you come up the center aisle and serve yourself up here at the communion table and then return by this, to the side aisles back to your seats. Uh, I know the, uh, the health department is telling us that we need to be masked again. And some people will want a distance. But it's, it's just more of the same old control features that the government is forcing on people. So as the, uh, as the music uh, begins, you can, even before the music begins, you can, you can talk to the Lord. Get those things off your chest and off your heart and speak to Him, and listen then also to His words of grace and mercy. Psalm 86, verses 1 and 3, 4 and 5, and Psalm 94, verse 19.
The words to the song that was just sung are found in Psalm 86, verses 1 to 5, and verse 19 of Psalm 94. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto them that call upon thee. And from Psalm 94, verse 19. In the multitude of my thoughts, within me thy comforts delight my soul. Heavenly Father, as we look at the scriptures here today about sharing communion and all that that entails, We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus is quoted here at the Lord's table by none other than Paul the Apostle. And Paul tells the people in Corinth, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me after the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped saying 
This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye. As oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Heavenly Father, we are reminded. Every time we think of you, we, we are reminded of the simplicity of your birth and the horror of your death. But then, of your glorious resurrection also. Lord, we remember you and we recall to our minds the joy of knowing that you think enough of us to call us unto yourself just by believing in you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your gifts to us. Thank you for that last breath we took and for the next one we will take. You're a great God. We love you. Your word is true. You yourself are the truth. Be glorified as we do these things and share these emblems even now. Lord, we are humbled by the humble way you came into the world. We're humbled by the humble life that you led. We're humbled by the way you humbled yourself to live among men and to die with your head up. We thank you for your gift of salvation. We thank you that you have gifted us with the gift of faith. For we look forward to what is in store for us in the future. And even as, even as you looked beyond the cross to the joy that, lied, that lays beyond, we're looking for that same thing. The joy that lies beyond whatever crosses we have on this earth. Lord, bless our days. Bless our time. And help us to be as devoted as Simeon and Anna was. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Thy way may be known upon earth thy saving health among all people. God bless you. Have a wonderful new year. Enjoy the rest of the day. But be blessed for the whole year. When trials come up, ask Him, where are you in this, Lord? The trials are His perfecting work in us. Be blessed this year and enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com.
There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.